With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire. The last vestige of normalcy in a desiccated sports landscape uh, where the sports journalism purge is real. Fortunately, we are not journalists. Yep, fortunately, we uh, our place in the sports journalism ecosystem is basically the guy that lives in the dumpster. So when the purge happens, like, nobody's going for that guy. Like, what did he ever do to anybody? Um, we have no assets worth taking. We have caused no real offense. We've, like, mildly annoyed everybody. Yeah, but, I mean, in the context of a purge, like, ain't you got other priorities beyond the guy who mildly annoyed you that one time by speaking a little bit of truth about a certain khaki-wearing coach? I don't know, just for example. Um, so, in order to keep the lights on for us, we must occasionally appease the cabal of Medill grads who the run this place. Uh, yeah, so this here is one of the fancier episodes, because it's Northwestern time. I say time and not week because, of course, scheduling is unusual in our current circumstances. So Northwestern gets to share with their eternal blood rival, Nebraska, who we'll talk about next week as being very glad to finally have the question answered, you know, who replaces the void that a matchup like Oklahoma leaves, that a conference affiliation like Colorado leaves. We've come to it at last. The two most culturally compatible fan bases in the Big Ten, Nebraska and Northwestern, are hereby forever after joined as rivals by off-tackle empire. Let it be so. There you go. Next weekend, it's Nebraska week. But uh, right now, it's the Northwester time. These are the Northwester times that we're living in. So I will uh, I'll counteract I'll counteract all this with my Winflat Tribe brews for the week. One of my home brews, regular beer. This is an American cream ale that doesn't really taste like a whole hell of a lot. Uh, you one could say that the magic ran out, much like. Northwestern last year, it seemed like they were paying back a lot of debts. Yeah, from the previous year. And the tropes about Northwestern have generally been, and you know, a lot of time this is spoken in Pat Fitzgerald's favor, is that he's, for the most part, turned them into a good, stable, above average program. But the thing is, the last two years, they've won their division and then won three games. So uh, it's been a little bit of a departure from the norm. A very uncomfortable situation, even for Fitzgerald, who clearly has been shaken by it, because in the aftermath of last year's just absolute chaos on offense, they finally part ways with Mick McCall, one of the two coordinators who's been there with Fitzgerald for his entire, what, 
15 year tenure now? Or has it even been longer than that? I forget exactly when he started. I don't know. It's either six or seven. It would be six, right? We're saying 16 or 17, right? No, no. What do you mean when 2006, yeah. 2007. I, I can't. 2006, say that I, I think. I can't say that I honestly remember. But anyway, behind Ferris, the second longest tenure in the Big Ten, one of the longer tenures in the country, and both those coordinators have been with him the entire time, man. Fair description of this beer? It's regular beer. Sure is a beer. You know, um, it tastes like beer. <laughs> so, you know, again, to to recap the recent history here, Northwestern started 2018 with a humiliating loss to Akron, but they go on to win their division. Sure, they lose to Ohio State, but who doesn't? And then they follow up their trip to Indy with a 3-9 2019 that was so bad that Pat Fitzgerald fired somebody. Um, and the thing is, is like... They beat the really bad teams on their schedule in UMass and, and who the hell was the other UNLV. one? UNLV. UNLV. But there just weren't that many bad teams was the thing. Or, I guess. And whatever the hell Illinois trotted out there was a god-awful team. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that it represented the rest of the 2019 Illini, but that particular edition of the 2019 Illini was god-awful. No, well, all that it was was instead of their usual thing, which is they are typically bad in September, usually lose at least one non-conference game, they shouldn't. Then they round into form in October, and by November they are rolling. They condensed the latter two-thirds of that all into one week and just went from bad to rolling ball of knives against Illinois. That's how you could choose to look at it if you wanted to be charitable. Or you could look at that performance and Illinois' bowl game as evidence of your thesis, which was once they got there... Lovey shut it the hell down and was satisfied. <laughs> oh, no. They were trying against Cal. They were not decidedly not trying against Northwestern, which, is, which makes me a lot more angry than if they were actually trying and put up that result. <laughs> but. Understandably so. Anyway. So the, the times they are changing for Northwestern, which is an unusual thing to say. Um, well, the... The, the the two other things I guess I have to say about last year was that that, that Illinois Northwestern game was about the quickest I've ever gone to complete silence in watching a game. It wasn't <laughs> I wasn't out of the end of the first quarter before I just you know before I was just in a state of an hours long silently sipping well downing whiskey just That's silently every now sipping yeah every every now and then a shake of the head. Uh, every now and then, uh, sit up in the seat, and then a melt backwards, and then another slug. Yeah. But the thing that I have to commend Northwestern for in this offseason is muzzling Pat Fitzgerald oh in the wake God. of coronavirus, <laughs> because last offseason, he emerged as the ultimate boomer. Yeah, like, the youngest, most profound boomer on the face of the earth. Um he, boy, I can, you, you can hear him yelling at kids to get off his lawn. You can hear him talking about how he still believes in supply-side economics. Like, how he the war, is the how president the, of the Young Boomer Society. How the war on drugs just needs one final push to really make a difference in the streets. Um, there's, I mean, yeah. literally, the culture is going away because these kids spend too much time looking at their phone was a thing that he said. Yeah, so... You can extrapolate from his kind of persona into what he probably thinks about not being able to conduct a normal offseason practice. And yeah, 
You're, even, you're, you're completely right. Or even the measures that various state governments, especially Illinois, has, has <laughs> taken, because you may notice that Illinois does not really have a big... Pro- I mean, they have a coronavirus problem, but right now... Relative to relative other states. to the peak, it is very under control. Relative to the dumbbell to the south, yeah, they're doing pretty good. But I have some insight into how Illinois boomers reacted to the governor's uh, fairly strict shutdown orders, and it was with furious anger. Uh, They were living in a totalitarian state of oppression. Uh, The first time they'd ever been oppressed in their lives. Um, Yeah, turns out that kind of sucks, doesn't it? Yeah. Kind of sucks, and... uh, Anyway, point being, there is no way that he hasn't been just... You know, that he didn't spend any time just, just yeah. pacing around, <laughs> muttering about this is, you know, this is why... My liberties, you know, my liberties, my uh, liberties. This is, why, uh, this is why we haven't won the wars that we've been into is because we didn't, you know, we didn't have the, 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 the nuts anymore as a nation. Disrespect for law enforcement, like, it just, yeah. This offseason... This is what's wrong with this generation. Whether it's... Jim Phillips directly or through his designated appointees like SIDs, assistant coaches, whoever. Northwestern Athletics has kept Pat Fitzgerald away from audio recording devices and it has been a job well done. Yeah. Because there is no way that him saying anything about any of this stuff could have turned out positively. Absolutely. Um, and, right. and, and and he's far from alone because oh, yeah. no, no, just this. think about the mindset. Well, Think about the Tim Beckman report about how he's just one of these rub dirt on it guys. Imagine a imagine a group of people more likely to um, to 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 say misogynistic things about the projection of weakness that wearing a mask in public yeah. gives you. Imagine a group more likely to say that than college football strength coaches. What? Well, well, yeah, you, strength coaches. Think about head coaches. Like, let's just run through the Big Ten really quick. Kirk Ferentz. Paul Christ. Paul Christ. Jim Harbaugh. Although oh he, I mean, as far as the Black Lives Matter thing goes, he has done, he has done well. He has done, he's done good. No question about that. But on the coronavirus thing, yeah, Harbaugh, I mean, you could convince me Ryan Day probably gets his news from, like, Daily Coach. FreedomEagle.Facebook. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, he's young enough. Maybe there's still yeah. some open. But he is, again, a head football coach in major university. Um I bet James Franklin's probably down with it. He's, I mean, he's probably he's got to be on TikTok, right? So he's exposed to lots of Zoomers. They're probably shaming him into wearing masks. Um, this is a this is a sidetrack we don't have time for. All right, so Northwestern. Um, as much as much as I'd like to try to get away from the simplifying discussion of you know a football season all being about a quarterback, that's really the story of Northwestern's season. So. They started TJ Green at the beginning of last year. He got hurt, could not return. And so then they apparently reluctantly turned to the highest profile talent they've ever had in Hunter Johnson. The was former. last year the pitch count or was it the year before? No, that was with Thorson the year before. Oh, um, right. Because he was coming off an Achilles tear from the bowl game, which was right. like... And so, no, that was the year before. No, last year it was just it, there was there was some other stuff going on with Johnson. I forget exactly what. I think it was some kind of mental health related issue. I don't want to make light of that. 
I also but, thought that he did have like like a like a, a kind of like a nagging injury that just like limited him. Well, eventually he did. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think that was the problem at first. But anyway. Clearly there were some issues there, and that's not an easy thing to navigate, so I don't want to make light of that. But, but suffice it to say, they had, it yeah, didn't turn yeah. out the way that it was predicted to. No, and so then from probably the biggest part of the season is the Aiden Smith experience. A guy who runs a lot, but for very little yardage, throws for very little yardage, <laughs> The last couple games of the season, they go over to Andrew Marty, and I mean against Illinois, he might as well have been Cam Newton. But you know, but you Illinois' know. defense is designed to stop Wisconsin and nothing else. <laughs> well, hey, was that was that <laughs> was it worth it? Wasn't it worth it? <laughs> I remember your reaction to that game. Yeah. Are you really gonna tell me because you lost to Northwestern? Who really gives a shit? Nobody like. Uh. Hey, I'm just stating a fact. Illinois' defense is designed to stop Wisconsin and, to a lesser extent, Iowa uh, when it's run correctly. I mean, should, in theory, be able to stop Michigan as well. Um, Honestly, like, is there is that such a bad strategy in the Big Ten West? Like, well, worse. Uh, yeah, I mean... I mean, just Great. yeah, sure. I get that you also have to play Purdue and Nebraska and Northwestern. Yeah, Minnesota, very, Minnesota is the one that's concerning me the most. Well, nobody's going to be able to stop Rashawn Bateman this year. The dude's going to go for fifteen hundred yards if every if they have anything resembling a normal year. But anyway, um, right. So they had they ended up our playing, director, our, our our producer over here, is trying to remind us. Is to get giving us the signal to move along and get the ad reads done. We'll work them in when it's natural and organic. So Northwestern ends up like playing, we always do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> so Northwestern ends up playing four quarterbacks over the course of the year. All of them, I believe, are eligible again this year, I'm pretty sure is the case. And so is Peyton Ramsey. <laughs> right. The, the Indiana transfer who, with his one year left to spend, as probably the most, is, I mean, maybe Jamie Newman from Wake Forest would have been preferred, but... In terms of other transfer quarterbacks on the market this year, are there more? Is there more than one or two other guys you would have preferred before Peyton Ramsey if you're a team looking for a quarterback? Like, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Like, who else is really out? There? I, the only reason that I would take Brandon Peters over Peyton Ramsey is because Peters demonstrated some command of the offense at the end of the season last year. But and, that's from a, me, and, right, and that's from a guy you have a quarterback, yeah. and you would still think about getting him upgraded. Yep, exactly. Northwestern had four guys who played. It, it, like The offense around them was a confused mess. There's a new coordinator. Well, Isaiah Bowser also, like... I get that he was hurt. Yeah, that yeah. was a big part of their struggle. Was, was big. they yeah, had yes. a guy, you know, Bowser was a breakout the year before, and then he spent most of the year hurt. But it's not like Drake Anderson was terrible. It was just the passing offense was so bad that Northwestern's usually modest running game wasn't able to do what they do. Well, and now they've lost what their leading receiver, um, Skoranek. Well, yeah, that was I don't know. No, Riley Lee's is probably oh, their leading yeah. receiver. But yeah, Skoranek was definitely a big part of it. And he, what are you going to ordain? Yep. Kind of hard to blame him for that, considering they lost Claypool and um, Kmet, the tight end, so they need targets too. That, that still that still hurts. Yeah, it does, especially because losing a guy with such a top shelf lacrosse name to I assume Notre Dame is probably a lacrosse power. I mean, it, they've got to be right. Um, 
it feels like there's a certain it's not a slap to the face it's a it's a delicately removing your white glove and you know backhanding yeah. with it to the face yeah for, well basically it's the kind of thing like Bennett to go to another lacrosse side. Yeah, it's too. the kind of thing for which you do, in fact, slap somebody with a glove and demand satisfaction. Except, you know, being who you are, you of course should send a second and a third to conduct a duel for yourself. You're not going to appear in person at dawn. That's absolutely gauche. Um... So yeah, Northwestern is the winner of the Peyton Ramsey sweepstakes. He's got to be the odds-on favorite to win the starting job. And if that's the case, like, what the hell does Hunter Johnson do? Doesn't he just leave? Why on earth? Is this his last year of eligibility? No, he's got to have. He was, I think he was either a year. Maybe it is because he had to sit out a year. I think he was... He got jumped by Trevor Lawrence, who I think came in behind him. Right. So this probably is his last year of eligibility. I don't know. I don't know. No, I think he was supposed to be a redshirt sophomore. Last I think. Year. Yeah, I think he's a redshirt junior this year. So it's it's a befuddling situation for quarterback. Um, we talked especially to after a four year starter. Yeah, well, I understand that you're going to have a hard time finding another guy to do that. Um, we mentioned with Bowser and Anderson, they've got a couple pretty good running backs. The offensive line should be pretty good. I've seen a fair amount of talk of Rayshon Slater as like an NFL prospect, and what it reminded me of was that Rutgers tackle Cole was that his name, Tariq Cole, yeah, or something, who kept getting like year after year. He got talked up like, oh man, you know he's got NFL future. Teams, he's going to possibly departure. Just never. I don't think he got drafted. I never. I was just like, I, why? Because he's kind of a big dude, even for that position. Like, I just. I'm not saying that Slayer's a bad player. I just don't see. I mean, like, you know, a lot of guys get drafted every year. Is he one of the best 250 something players? Maybe he is, but I don't see him as the anchor of an above-average offensive line the way that he seems to be being talked about. That's all I'm saying. Um, and again, this is an offense that was bad last year. So, what you know? What pieces are there that you can build something around? Riley Lee's is the prototypical efficient possession receiver. Um, Kyrick McGowan definitely has a little bit of burst. It honestly feels honestly like they might be better suited using him in something of a Venrick Mark role if they had a reliable running quarterback. They can get back to doing some of the option stuff they used to do, but. We'll see how the new offensive coordinator wants to use. It's not, it's not like they have no offensive weapons. Um, but last year's result, it's hard to get the taste out of your mouth because a fair number of those guys are going to be back. And you're going to be in year one of a new scheme, which is usually a bit of a... usually takes a bit to gel. Um, on defense, uh, Joe Gaziano is a fixture of this defense and... All-time program sack leader. Yeah, would be missed. And again, you know, easy to get lost in a conference that has uh, you know, Chase Young, Nick Bosa before that. Um, well, basically, it's a conference that has Ohio State. Well, no, I'm so, like not just not just him, but you know, like Kenny Willekes, Carter Coughlin, um, Carl Aftis broke out of Purdue. Like every team has a couple of good passers. 
Yeah, Evernessa, um, uh, what's his face at Penn State? Why can't I think of his name? He's still on the team. Why can't I think of the guy's name? Simmons. Right. No, Parsons. Simmons Michael Parsons. Yeah. Um, so, again, the point is, there's a lot of excellent pass rushers, and it's easy, even for a pretty great player like Gaziano, to kind of get lost in the mix. But Northwestern does have a pretty good track record of developing good defensive linemen. Um, you know, you can think back to the likes of uh, Dean Lowry, um, Corey Wooten's a little further back, but they've consistently got reliable pass rush, capable run stopping out, Tyler Lancaster on the inside. Um, so they've you, you can expect that they'll be pretty good along a defensive line. Um, they still have Patty Fisher in the linebacking group. Yeah, I was going to say, Patty Fisher comes back as an anchor, and if you were going to give me, if you're going to tell me that one Northwestern starter transferred to Notre Dame, I would have said Patty Fisher. <laughs> you would have been, or Boston College, maybe. Um, but, uh, secondary should be pretty good. They've got returning senior starters at safety with Pace and Willock. Um, good experience with the corner, again, the uh, page, or Pace. Right, Jared Pace, I think is his name. Um, plenty of experience in the back seven of the, of the defense. They'll need to find a couple new contributors up front, but they've been able to do that. Um, the schedule is an interesting one because they move right into Big Ten play. It's going to be a new-look Northwestern offense against a new coaching staff, Michigan State. Oh, man. Um, what we're going to have to see is if this shakeup dissolves the triangle of stupid Games that we have the tri- the stupid triad with Michigan State, Iowa, and Northwestern, where games involving two of those three are always really stupid. They always end up seventeen ten. That's the final score that is basically or fifty four to forty. <sighs> right, don't remind me. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to be an interesting test for both teams. Other things early on, um, they have Tulane. Probably not going to be as good as they were last year. But Willie Fritz has an interesting program put together there. He ran the fake kneel down for a win last year. Hell yeah. Oh my god, uh, he's my hero. Yeah, the other the other aspect is the crossover schedule features a pretty early visit from or trip to Penn State rather, which is even worse than a visit from Penn State is going there. Um, so the crossover it could be better, could be worse. They do dodge Ohio State. So that's something. <laughs> that's probably about the best you can say for a crossover is, like, look, as long as you're not playing, if you're playing fewer than two of Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, you've probably gotten off pretty light. Um, yeah. So, overall, we'll see for the first time what a new coordinator looks like for Northwestern. It does, even with last year's very disappointing results, it does not feel like they need to throw out the whole formula, nor could they with this coaching staff if they wanted to. So we'll see if they can get something of a quick reset and get a little bit back to back to what they were earlier in the last decade, middle of the last decade, where they're consistently winning seven, eight, sometimes nine games. Um, it's not going to be an easy thing to do. There are plenty of other Big Ten West teams jockeying for position, but...
I can tell you're eager to talk about Northwestern basketball. So let's go ahead and get right to that. Uh, okay, I, what I was trying to verify was that Northwestern essentially had two losses to Civil War ironclads. What? Well, because they lost to Merrimack. They didn't play. There's not a monitor university that I'm aware of. Yes, but Radford was placed in command of the ironclad division. Um. Yeah, okay, so, so that silence was entirely yeah, so worthwhile. William, then. William Radford this. was an ironclad, was a Union ironclad commander in the Civil War. So let's get right into it for Northwestern hoops. Then um, it's not a good sign for the outlook on your season when you lose your season opener to Merrimack at home by ten points. Was that their first game as a member of Division One, Merrimack? Merrimack? I don't know. Was it? Jesus, that would be even worse. Seriously. Um, the, Merrimack finished as Ken Palm number 227. Uh, there were worse losses, but again, when you're a Big Ten team at home, that boy, uh, boy. And if there were any doubts, um, nine days later, or no, yeah, 11 days later. They began their four-year transition to Division One during the 2019-20 season and will be full Division One members by 2023-24. So, your answer is no, actually. They're not a Division One team. They're getting there. <laughs> yeah. And that was the first game of the season. That yeah. was their first game in their transition to Division One. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> they then lost to Radford, as you said, 11 days later, also by nine points. Not like that was close. Later in the season, they dropped the game to Hartford. Um, that was tucked in there between the two bursts of conference games, so it kind of got you know glossed over a little bit. That's not a great loss. Um, you know, it was funny. I, I'm sorry, the USS Hartford. <laughs> right. I okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was also a Civil War ship. Yeah. So so Northwestern could not stop losing to Civil War. Naval-related entities. Yeah. Um, they went 0-2 against Civil War ships. And the funny thing was, like, Northwestern's players individually look pretty good at times. Yeah. I mean, they have... This is probably one of their more talented teams, at least on paper. It's fair to say they were very young. Their point guard situation was absolutely perilous because of situa- a situation that we got into before. Um... But, you know, Pete Nance was the most well-respected recruit in program history until this kid they just got, uh, whose name escapes me, for next year's class. But, I mean, they've got him. Like, Boo Booey has shown signs of being one of those ball-dominant, high-volume scoring guards, like his cousin Taylor Battle. Um, Miller Kopp can hit shots if he's open. Ryan Young has has had moments on the block. Um... It's not like this team doesn't have talent. The problem is they were very young and they were thin at a spot that's really difficult to be thin at, which is ball handling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a very difficult problem to paper over. That being said, Pat Spencer, having spent the last four years as a lacrosse standout, um, did about as well as you could expect the guy in that situation to do. Uh, the offense definitely lacks some flow a lot of the time. And, you know, but again, given the situation they were in, they were competitive in a lot more games than you probably would have thought. Um, the problem is, 
even keeping things close, most of the time still turned into a big red L in the win-loss column. Um, it, Miller Cobb is a very Northwestern name. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's If he doesn't... I don't know if he's got a pro career ahead of him, but he's going to be a hell of an accountant one day. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's... Boy, they swept the season series against Nebraska. They pulled out an absolutely mystifying win at home over Penn State very late in the season. But that was it for Big Ten wins. 3-17. and 17, Two of those wins over the only team that managed to finish under them in the rankings. Which, by the way... How many seasons are there where three and seventeen is not last place in the conference? Like that takes it takes him doing the slide under it, and we're gonna talk yeah. about we're gonna talk about Nebraska today too. Um, but boy, it, look, it's it's difficult, right? This again, this was a conference that for most of the season had twelve teams that had tournament worthy resumes. Twelve of them weren't going; probably ten would have. But there were 12 teams that were good enough to be in the NCAA tournament if they hadn't had to keep playing each other. And the wins keep had to come from somewhere. Though. Right, from each other. And so, and a lot of those wins came from Nebraska and Northwestern. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, I don't know what else there is to say. Really, like, in terms of on-court product, sometimes you could see what they were trying to do and the sets would work really well and you'd get open shots for guys like Cop. But a lot of the time, it was just kind of disorganized chaos. Is Chris Collins zooking this? No, I don't think so. I, I think with a roster as small as you get in basketball, with the continuity they're going to have next year, I think they're going to be way better. Um, Achieved a serious milestone and then springboarded that into recruiting well above where the program had been historically, and then lost a bunch. Up for last season, sure, you could say that. Um, I don't think we have enough data points to conclude that big picture just yet. Well, if next next season looks anything like this past season did, I will I will become a proud signatory of that hypothesis. So we're talking like NIT. And then NIT, but they lost their last 12 games. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so look. In terms of results, it's really difficult to look at last year and find a lot of positives. But the thing is, I mean, Pat Spencer was a one-year player as a senior, and A.J. Turner is the only other guy who's graduating. Um, the talent on their roster was heavily concentrated in their underclassmen. I mean, really, the big problem here is not that... So, between the classes that he built the tournament appearances on, or the tournament appearance singular on, you know, they got Macintosh, Law, Lindsay, um, their pardon. Between those guys and the young players, there were definitely a couple of empty classes there. And that's a, pro- that's a problem they're dealing with right now, because even though they're recruiting better than they usually do, they're not recruiting at a level that lets them make up for that kind of thing. The way, for example, Michigan State was able to recover when they went all in on, a, on some very top-shelf recruits earlier in the 2010s, and they missed on a whole bunch of them in a row, and so they had to extend offers to Plan C guys like Tom Tom Nairn and Gavin Schilling. Like, there was still enough residual talent from before and after to fill in that 
hole where the recruiting dipped notably. Northwestern does not have that talent reserve. So when they missed on a couple of classes, it hurt really bad. And that's basically what I think they're dealing with now. And yet, compare, contrast that to Steve Peichel, who has only recently started to get any attention for the recruiting. Yeah. Because, you know, the recruiting has just been, oh, it's Rutgers basketball recruiting. Well, they, I mean, even I mean, the last couple of classes, they've had, they've got, you know, McConnell, Harper. These are four-star guys that people yeah. wanted. Um, but yeah, Northwestern's talent is concentrated in their underclassmen, though. Bowie, Cop, Nance, Young, Robbie Barron, Jared Jones. These are guys whose recruiting profiles suggest they're going to be at least serviceable, if not above average, Big Ten level players. So if you have even normal improvement from all those younger guys, um, you, can, you can extrapolate significant improvement. Now, next year's recruits are not likely to be any instant impact guys. They have a combo guard in Ty Berry coming in who's decent, but his ranking again doesn't shout instant impact. Um, nor does that of Matt Nicholson, the other guy from actually Clarkston, right up the road from here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, him being six foot ten helps because they were certainly a little bit shorthanded in the front line last year. They also really they got to figure out how to keep their bigs out of foul trouble because, I mean, Pete Nance, Ryan Young, those guys came into the game with two fouls, <laughs> like from the opening tip. So if they can get some progression there, keep the better players on the court, and get improvement out of the young guys. They're going to be better. Now, how much better? Boy, um, as you said earlier, those wins got to come from somewhere. And am I, you know, plenty of teams in the middle to bottom half of the Big Ten table will drop off somewhat. Um, Minnesota feels vulnerable. (laughs) But um, even Maryland feels like a team that can slip and become... A potential pickoff target, but are there going to be enough for them to get more? Than, I don't know what's going on with Indiana at all. They're going to be plenty talented next year again. They're but they be, were last year. I guess so. I mean, I, I feel like eventually, if you have enough blue chips, you almost can't help but. I mean, we saw that with Tom Green. Like, was he? Do you think he was a great on on court coach? No, but when you get enough, get if you put. You know, Yogi Ferrell, Cody Zeller, and Victor Oladipo on the floor, you're going to win a lot of games. So yeah. um, it is possible to talent your way to the top. Um, anyway, uh, is there a scenario where Northwestern wins more than six or seven conference games next year? It's going to be a best-case scenario. But, you know, stranger things have happened. It'll be an achievement. And, yeah, stranger things have happened. They made the tournament Source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire!